We're continuing our reading of the Srimad Bhagavatam. We're now on the eighth canto, fifth chapter. We're taking up at text number 11 and 12 in the chapter entitled, The Demigods Appeal to the Lord. And here, Prikshit Maharaj is asking a question of Shukadev Goswami, which, of course, is the substance of the not only the Srimad Bhagavatam, but the Bhagavad Gita and many of the other revealed scriptures. There's a question and answer session going on between great souls. And as mentioned in the beginning of the Bhagavatam by Shukadev Goswami, people in general, and not just people, but also animals, as Prabhupada points out in his purport, have many kinds of questions to ask, and there are many answers being given. But most of them are only in relationship with the material body. When there are exalted souls, the questions must relate to Lord Krishna, what's more, they relate to the world's welfare, which is the topic that comes up at Naimasharanya. And so we have the benefit of listening in to the conversations of the great souls. And here, Prikshit Maharaj asks, O great Brahmana, Shukadeva Goswami, why and how did Lord Vishnu churn the ocean of milk? For what reason did he stay in the water as a tortoise and hold up Mandara Mountain? How did the demigods obtain the nectar and what other things were produced from the churning of the ocean? Kindly describe all these wonderful activities of the Lord. So these activities, these events actually happened and they're the eternal pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So by listening to the pastimes, especially this pastime of the churning of the milk ocean, of course one may think that, well, these are just stories. Well, first of all, they're not stories. They're actually historical facts. And second of all, one might think that these are too fantastical for me to fathom. But if we listen carefully, we'll find there are many lessons for our lives uh, within these pastimes, and it's particularly within this pastime of the churning of the ocean of milk for nectar. Not the least of which is the metaphor itself, which is that in order to attain anything in human life, we have to churn. Churning requires a little effort. If you've ever churned butter, which I have not, I admit, <laughs> although maybe in Grammar school, we shook some up and got butter. But I don't know if that counts. We did have to shake it. You have to labor. And churning uh, is the metaphor here. Or, it, of course, this is the story of churning the, the ocean. And the metaphor we can apply to our lives, as we heard the other night, it's important for human beings to understand that the, the real benefits in their life come from yajna 
and relating everything to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In the Gita, Krishna says, Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you offer or give away, as well as what any austerities you may perform, you should do as an offering unto me. For those who are um, connected to devotees or to the Supreme Personality of Godhead through his teachings in the Bhagavad Gita, they may then... Uh, go on doing their work because that's natural. People don't give up doing their work in this world, nor does Krishna recommend that they do so. But they should think that I'm doing this for Krishna. In fact, Prabhupada mentions this in the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, that the Acharyas have said that as we do our work in the world, we should think I'm doing this work for the Supreme, for the Supreme Personality of Godhead. When one is able to uh, or when one has the um, insight that everything is coming from Krishna, all the energy that I'm utilizing to make my livelihood and whatever profit is coming, that's also Krishna. This is something that Prahlad Maharaj points out in his prayers, that all the effect, the cause and the effect, that's, that's you, my Lord, and whatever energies I, ha I see in my life, these are all you too. My family, that's you. My job, that's you. The income I'm getting, that's you. It's all coming from Krishna. And someone who begins to see this and goes on working with the idea that I'm dedicating this to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, uh, gradually comes to the position of knowledge, of understanding that I'm a soul within a body, and there's also a super soul within the body. There's a progression. And by dedicating the, the fruits of one's activities to Krishna, then, as Krishna says, Brahman yadaya karmani sangam tyakva korotiya lipite na padma patram ivambasa. Then one lives in the world without being besmirched by the, uh, the sin that comes from the idea of ownership, that this is mine and this is for me to enjoy. Rather, one then lives like a lotus that's in the water but isn't touched by the water. So churning is important. We have to work. But if we're working for Krishna and we dedicate the fruits of our activities to Krishna and we realize that the energies that are all involved are Krishna himself, that he's supplying them, then uh, we'll get the great profit of life. So this is certainly an interesting topic, and Parikshit Maharaj has asked, and he goes on to say in 13, my heart, which is disturbed by the three miserable conditions of material life, is not yet sated with hearing you describe the glorious activities of the Lord. Look up sated. The Supreme Personality of God, who is the master of all devotees. Sri Sutta Goswami said, O learned Brahmanas, assembled here at Naimasharanya. When Shukadev Goswami, the son of Dwaipayana, was thus questioned by the king, he congratulated the king and then endeavored to describe further the glories of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Shukadev Goswami said, When the Asuras, with their serpent weapons, severely attacked the demigods in a fight, many of the demigods fell and lost their lives. Indeed, they could not be revived. At that time, O king, the demigods had been cursed by Durvasa Muni, 
the three worlds were poverty-stricken, and therefore ritualistic ceremonies could not be performed. The effects of this were serious. So herein we find the first lesson, because we hear in this verse that there's a conflict going on between the demigods and the demons, and that's nothing new. Throughout the Bhagavatam, we hear of conflict between the demigods and the demons. That's just what they do, is uh, fight. And what is the reason that the uh, demigods are now in a disadvantageous uh, situation? And that is because of an offense that Indra made to Durvasamuni. Durvasamuni is a ubiquitous character in the uh, Puranas. You'll find that he makes an appearance in Satya, Trita, Dvapara, and Kali Yuga. And he's a very uh, powerful sage. Uh, and he's also, although he's very powerful and has many disciples, he has a, a um, penchant for anger. And um, he curses very easily. Of course, a curse by a great soul it doesn't necessarily mean one's doom, although temporarily inconvenienced by having to take, for instance, the body of an elephant or something like that in the next life because of a curse coming from a great soul, or in the case of Nalakuvera and Manigriva taking birth as twin Arjun trees, there's a way in which the, there's a, a fruit inside, a benediction that comes also. In any case, one day, when Indra was riding his elephant. Durvasamuni saw Indra in all his glory and offered him a beautiful flower garland, much like this one. And when Indra, riding high on the elephant, oftentimes when there are cer ceremonial circumstances, someone will ride in an elephant because what could be more opulent than that? It's, uh, nowadays, it's hard for people to maintain a, a pet, like a cat or a dog. It's very expensive. You want me to move? Okay. Which way? You recommend that way? Okay. Ready? One, two, three. But in a few minutes, the sun will come there. Can you find the page? And Durvasa, I was saying that riding high on an elephant. No, I'm seeing you. Okay. Someone might think that I'm a, I'm a big deal. Of course, uh, Krishna says in the 15th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Nirmana moha jitta sangha dosha, don't think you're a big deal. Nirman means don't think like that. This is one of the tenets of spiritual life is don't think that I'm, I'm the man. That's why he says nirman, nirmana, don't be the man. And so Indra 
thinking that he was uh, something, received the garland and didn't um, consider it very significant. So he took the garland and he gave it to his elephant. He says, here, you take it and put it on his trunk. And the elephant, he just like, ew, you know, and he threw it on the ground and stepped on it. And Durvasa Muni saw that. And, you know, like, one time when I was younger, I, uh, I had a garland around, when I was a brahmachari, I had a, a garland around my neck and I offered it to Trivikram Maharaj and uh, not knowing the etiquette. And he took it and he goes, ew, I don't want prasadam from a brahmachari. <laughs> he just kind of like gave it to somebody else. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was, an, and I was like, oh boy, did I blow it. But of course, Durvasamuni didn't take it so well. <clears throat> And he thought, who is this? Who is this person? And, uh, and so he cursed him to lose, lose everything, to lose all his opulence. And so Indra then and the demigods lost their position within the universe. They, got a, it, they were disadvantaged. Meanwhile, the demigods, as will be mentioned later, had an advantage in that although they're Guru Shukracharya, known for dharma, although he, he um, has a partisan point of view. We find out in the story of Bali Maharaj. He, would, uh, he at that time was being worshipped by the, the demons very carefully. And therefore, they were gaining power. And all these circumstances led to the demise of the demigods, hold on power in the universe. So now they were being uh, <clears throat> dominated by the demons. And so they want, they want to know uh, what to do. So they go to uh, meet Lord Brahma. He's their leader, the leader of the, of the demigods. And they met him at his, at his assembly house, and they told him that we're now, we've fallen into an unfortunate situation. We're being dominated by the demons. Uh, what should we do? And so Brahma takes the demigods and leads them to the shore of the ocean of milk. Where else do you remember this from? This is such a happening. Can you say more about that? Before um, uh, Krishna appeared, all the demigods uh, went to went and uh, approached Brahma that how much suffering they are going through, and then Brahma leads them to the shore of the milk ocean and offers prayers. So, what did Brahma do at the shore of the ocean of milk? He prayed. How did he pray? With the Purusha Shakta prayers. Where's Priya Kishori? She got away. Okay. Sacha Shirsha Purusha Sahasraksha Sahasrabha Sabhuming Vishwatovrit Bhat Atyatishtat Shangulam Purusha Eve Dangung Sarvam Yat Bhutam Yachtabhyam Tadanena Tirohati Etava Nasya Mahima Atojayagmascha Purushaha Ato Vishwan Vyakamate Shashana Nashane Abhi. 
Thank you. This was the prayer offered by Brahma and the demigods at the shore of the ocean of milk, both when they were calling for Lord Krishna to advent because things had gotten out of hand in the universe. And now uh, they are again going to this ocean of, of milk. In this instance, it doesn't say chronologically, which came first. But now they're offering a prayer. And here it is mentioned... Although Brahma hadn't seen the Lord, he could hear about him. So it is, a, is an important point that Prabhupada makes here that uh, one may not see directly the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but if you can hear his instructions. Yes, here it is in uh, 8525. There at Shwetadweep, Lord Brahma offered prayers to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, even though he had never seen the Supreme Lord. Simply because Lord Brahma had heard about the Supreme Personality of Godhead from Vedic literature, with a fixed mind, he offered the Lord prayers as written or approved by Vedic literature. Purport, it is said that when Brahma and the other demigods go to see the Supreme Personality of Godhead in Shwetadweep, they cannot directly see him, but their prayers are heard by the Lord, and the needful action is taken. This we have seen in many instances. The word shruta purvaya is significant. We get experience by directly seeing or by hearing. It is not possible to see someone directly. We can hear about him from authentic sources. Sometimes people ask whether... We can show them God. This is ludicrous. It is not necessary for one to see God before he can accept God. Our sensory perception is always incomplete. Therefore, even if we see God, we may not be able to understand him. When Krishna was on earth, many, many people saw him, but could not understand that he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Even though the rascals and fools saw Krishna personally, they could not understand that he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Even upon seeing God personally, one who is unfortunate cannot understand him. Therefore, we have to hear about God, Krishna, from the authentic Vedic literature and from persons who understand the Vedic version properly. Even though Brahma had not seen the Supreme Personality of Godhead before, he was confident that the Lord was there in Shwetadweep. Thus, he took the opportunity to go there and offer prayers to the Lord. Isn't that profound and also relevant to our lives? If Brahma, uh, with so much qualification and intelligence and so forth, and delegated power, couldn't see the Supreme Personality of God, hadn't seen him, but had complete faith that the Lord was there and went offering prayers, and then we'll see the result if the Lord reciprocates, then... Shouldn't we also have that same mood? We can follow in the footsteps of Brahma and realize that the Lord hears our prayers and go on offering uh, prayers, realizing that he's there hearing them. The other point is that we, we can understand only by hearing. Of course, as we know, one of the reasons that Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur had uh, taken uh, his divine grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, um, 
then Abai, as a disciple and given him initiation, was he noted that he liked to hear. And a particular incident in which he noted that was when um, our Srila Prabhupada went for a yatra that Srila Bhaktisiddhanta was conducting. He uh, didn't have much time, so he couldn't go for the whole yatra. He just went for a day or two. And the day that he got there, there was an opportunity for the pilgrims to go and see Shishishai Vishnu. And the next day, they, they wouldn't be able to see the deity. The doors were closed, and they were moving on. And there was a choice. They could stay and hear Srila Bhakti Siddhanta speak, or they could go and see the deity. So most of the pilgrims went to see the deity, and a couple stayed behind. One of them was uh, the future A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Abhai. And uh, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta lectured, and then he noted that what will they see if they go there? Because if they don't hear properly, then they can go and do some eye exercises by looking at the deity, but they won't understand what they're looking at or feel the depth, feel the Lord's presence. And he noted at that time, as he mentioned later, when the devotees in, in Allahabad had recommended Abhai for initiation, and that was, I've, I marked him. He likes to hear, he listens as to, and does not go away. And so that, that is a great qualification, or I could boldly say it is the only qualification for spiritual life, is the eagerness to hear about the Supreme Personality of God. If I were to make such a bold statement, and, and you were standing there and somebody challenged me and you wanted to back me up, what Shastra would you give to back that up? Give me some pramanam verses. Well, just don't belt it out. Take the microphone and take your stand. Where are all the microphones, please? Go ahead. Give pramanam. We have the verse that goes, um, and um, you repeat that many times to remind us that just by listening uh, to the Bhagavatam. <laughs> so that verse says. This service is done. Yes. Sushu Shoshadhanasya Vasudeva Kataruchi. So by serving great souls, Syan Mahat. One gains an affinity for hearing about, about the Lord. That's a good hearing verse. But give me a verse that's more towards the main qualification of spiritual life is hearing. It doesn't be exact, but help us out here. In the next verse, it says, Srinvatam Swakatha Krishna Punya Sravana Kirtana Hidayantas Tuyabhadrani Vidhunoti Sohit Satam. So that verse is like the, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, who is, is Paramatma sitting in one's heart. When we hear um, his, his message, that itself is the most pious activity and, and gradually we um, purify ourselves. Okay. Go ahead. You look like you got something. So I was thinking about Sarn 1 in Bhagavad Gita. Okay. Maya Sakta Manapartha Yogam Yunjan Madashraya. Um, 
So in this verse, uh, Krishna says that, you know, now when you hear, um, just by hearing from me, um, I think I'll just read the translation. Yeah, just say it first from your memory of what, you're, what you remember that it means. That now here, that's Srinu actually. Yes. So, uh, so Krishna says, and then uh, by listening to me, all the knowledge will be revealed to you. Yes. And the, the, all the knowledge he men, mentions in the next verse, right? Jnanam, vigyams, jnanam teham savigyanam idam bhaksham yasheshitha yajgatvane habu yonaj gatavyam avashishite. You'll know everything phenomenal and numinous. Go ahead, thanks. Good one. Yes? Yasham vayi shoyamanayam krishtam paramapurushe bhakti rupadhyayate pumshe Shoka Moha Bayapaha, that shloka, where Krishna, that it's mentioned. Say where it's from and give the translation, please. And then defend your position. Uh, so the translation is, simply by giving oral reception to this Vedic literature, the feeling for loving devotional service to Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, sprouts up at once to extinguish the fire of lamentation, illusion, and fearfulness. Very good citation. Defend your position. Why did you pick that verse? Why is it relevant? I heard this verse, Maharaj, uh, so many times, like uh, uh, the Soka Moha Bayapaha that uh, caught me my attention before. But then I realized that Krishna's uh, bhakti is also, you can get the bhakti, pure bhakti by hearing. Uh, by hearing? Yes. That's remarkable, isn't it? So if one, were, if one were to seek the essence of all advice, what would that be, according to Rupa Goswami? Tell us. Take the mic. Tan. Take the mic. Say it slowly and then explain it. Tanna Marupa Charita Dissikirtana Nu Smirtyo Karmena Rasana Manasini Oja Dishtan Vrajeta Danuragi Jananugami What's the um, point of the verse? This verse mentions how by chanting the holy name um, 24 hours a day, or uh, the, to the tongue, or... Oh. You're, con you're conflating two verses. So, Tanama, go ahead, help us out. The essence of all instruction is to chant... The, to chant the name of Tanama, to glorify the name, qualities, form, and pastimes of the Lord 24 by 7. Yeah, hearing and chanting is in essence. Give me one more verse from divinity and divine service about how one should have one pointed attention in hearing and chanting and remembering. Go ahead, you got it. Tasmade kena manasa bhagavan satvatampatihi shrotavya kirtitavyasya jheya pujasya nityada. Means? With one point Word for word, tell us. With one point attention. One so tell us the word for word. Tasmade ekena, tasmade therefore, ekena manasa with one pointed attention. Bhagavan satvatampatihi. Um, the Supreme Personality of Godhead who is the pati. Above the pati of the modes of goodness, the, of the suffers, of the, the devotees. The devotees, shrotavya, which means uh, hearing. There you go. Yeah, shrotavya, kirtitavya, like yeah. chanting. Dhyaya pujasya nityada. Every day you have to worship. Meditating. Meditate and worship him. 
worshiping. worshiping. Nityada means, means every day or so all it, the time. It means always, doesn't it? So why do you say every day? All the time. Huh? All the time. All the time. But why did you say every day? There's an explanation for that. I've said it before. Go ahead. If it says nityada, it means always, without stoppage. So why she said every day? Srila Vishwanath Chakwadi Thakur, in his uh, commentary, he says that like at nityada is definitely, but the neophyte devotees like me, they will get more demotivated to hear that 24 hours here to Jan. So he told at least every day. So he has given that. Uh, for those who are beginners, every day makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, but yes. The other words I was thinking about from the uh, prayers of Queen Kunti, where he is seen with Shunvanti, Gayanti, Grinanti, Abhikshanasha, Smaranti, Nandati, Teve, Hitam, Jana, Taeva, Pashyan, Tachirena, Tavakam, Bhava, Pravaho, Paramam, Padam, Bhujam. Where he says, like how Srinivanti Gayanti, like when we, um, Srinivanti Gayanti Ginanti Abhikshanasha, by, by all this process of hearing and etc., we can bhava pravaho paramam we can stop the flow of this material okay. world. So, this uh, incident where Brahma goes to the milk ocean is not irrelevant for us. We could consider that uh, we're standing in a place where we could address the Lord. We're here on the earthly planet where so many other sages have addressed the Lord, even though we can't see him directly. We can still offer our prayers and have them be effective, and we can hear about the Lord to understand who he is. And furthermore, without hearing about him regularly and every day, then we won't be able to understand him. You had one more point. I was thinking about that Chaddadana Munayu. Yes. Uh, in that particular thing, I never realized that I had learned this thing, but when you asked, I just looked at it. He says, the seriously inquisitive student or sage, well equipped with knowledge and attachment, realizes that absolute truth by rendering devotional service in terms of what he has heard yes. from the Vedanta. This is an extremely important verse and very relevant to the touch. Chadadhana munayo jnana vairagya yuktaya paschantya manichatmanam so one has to be fortified by the process of hearing from the right authority in order to advance. And one has to take shelter of the Vedic literatures in order to understand the Supreme Personality of God. And in our case, we have to take shelter of the teachings of the Goswamis and Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as it's coming through Srila Prabhupada's uh, perfectly synthesized presentation about the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. You got another one, you're on a roll. Okay, last one for now. This is Bhagavatam 1119. Yes. This is Vayamduna Pade. We never tire of hearing the transcendental pastimes of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is glorified by hymns and prayers. Those who have developed a taste for transcendental relationship with Him relish hearing His pastimes every moment. Yes, this is an expression by the sages at Naimasharanya who are 
relishing hearing so much. I mean, there they are camped out at Naimasharanya for a thousand years just to hear. And Vayam Tuna, Vritriptyama, Uttama Shloka Vikrame, Yat Shinvatam Rasagyanam, Swadu Swadu Pade Pade. Every syllable, every utterance that they're hearing, they're tasting it like nectar. So um, that's the process to advance in spiritual life. Okay, is it another pramanam or you have a question? Okay, question, and then we'll move on with the story because we're still far away from the ocean of, of milk and churning. <laughs> Go ahead. Maharaj, as you were saying in Naimisharanya, when, when um, the, the, the sages are sitting and discussing, I was wondering, we say that it's the best thing in the world to be talking about Krishna, speaking of his glories, and connecting to him. How is it helping the rest of the world? Because it's only helping me right there. Now, yeah, unless someone records That's a, a point that comes up in the in the 10th canto, first chapter. And this is, look it up. Look it up in your shloka book. 10th canto, first chapter. Vasudeva Kata Prashna. This is something that um, is mentioned that there are three people that are benefited when the Bhagavat is spoken. One is the speaker. The next is the questioner or the listener. And the third is everybody else in between <laughs> gets touched by it. So whenever there's a transmission of the transcendental sound vibration, people get hit by it. They can't help it. Like last night, we were just sitting there minding our own business. We weren't trying to attract any attention by all those lights and stuff. We were just <laughs> having a private budget and undie session there. I happened to find an open space there on the street. And people walked by, and they, they heard the holy name. And we just happened to have a few literatures on hand. They, they, made, a, they made us hand them over. Um, we were content to keep them under lock and key, but they demanded that we give them. So there's a way in which when, the, when we start to make the vibration that um, people in between will get touched by it. And I saw quite a few people last night. They walked by, they thought they were on the way to the bar, but they said, well, wait a minute. Let me just have a listen for a second. Some of them couldn't get away. They were trapped in there. So there's a, there's a way that the, the vibration goes out to everybody. At, uh, when the... <coughs> When Shukadev Goswami spoke to Prikshit Maharaj, there was a mixed audience. In fact, this is mentioned in the 10th canto when the esoteric pastimes, when Shukadev Goswami is describing the esoteric pastimes of the Lord, Prikshit Maharaj asked for clarification several times because he realizes there's some jnanis, yogis, other kinds of people in the audience that may not be getting this properly. And he was concerned about them. And, and, and over and over again, we find, for instance, when Vidura and Maitreya begin to discuss, Vidura starts to ask very uh, fundamental questions. And there it is mentioned that, well, why is such an exalted person asking another exalted person such fundamental questions? And the answer is that he's concerned that everybody else who's going to hear about this later <laughs> Is, uh, gets the, the basics first so they can understand it. So sages are always aware of the fact that there's other people listening. Okay, so now 
Any other points? You got it? Definition for sated, and also, did you find my verse? Can I have it? This is from Bhagavatam 10.116. Vasudeva kata prashna purusham strin punatihi vaktaram prachakam shrotrims tatpada salilamyata. The Ganges emanating from the toe of Lord Vishnu purifies the three worlds, the upper, middle, and lower planetary systems. Similarly, when one asks questions about the pastimes and characteristics of Lord Vasudeva Krishna, Three varieties of men are purified, the speaker or preacher, he who inquires, and the people in general who listen. Thank you. And now we'd like to hear the definition of sated and the etymology, please. Um, there are multiple definitions of sate, but the first one says that it, is, it means to satisfy a desire or an appetite to the full. And it comes from Old English, um, Nothing more? Old English by way of? It's all English. And it came, it's, um, it was Sadian first, and then um, Sade, Sad, Satiate, and then Sate. And it also means to supply someone with as much as or more of something than is desired or can be managed. So this is another feature of Krishna kata is one is never sated, which means that you can never get enough. <laughs> and Prabhupada mentions this in one of his purports, that the holes of the ears are very small. Are they not? But inside is unlimited. So don't think that you can't keep putting more in there. And it'll all go in, and it'll all stay in there. And it'll have its effect. Okay, so there they are, offering uh, prayers at Shwetadweep. And Brahma begins to glorify the Supreme Personality of Godhead through the Purushukta and other prayers, where he's mentioning the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Um, Prabhupada mentions in his purport to text number 8527 that uh, he says the word, Anidram means always awake and free from ignorance. This is a description of the Supreme Personality of Godhead as has been given in the prayers of Lord Brahma. And he says, as stated in the Bhagavad Gita 1515, it is the Lord who gives intelligence to everyone and who causes everyone to forget. There are millions and millions of living entities, and the Lord gives them directions. Therefore, he has no time to sleep. No time to sleep. He's busy taking care of us. And we're like, wah, I want, I want my thing back. And it's like, Krishna's there taking care of us. He never has time to sleep. And he is never in ignorance of our activities. Isn't that nice to know? He's never in ignorance of activities. He's there and he's fully compassionate. Yes. Does that literally mean he doesn't sleep? Well, Jagannath doesn't. Nor does Krishna. He goes, goes in at night 
says he's going to bed, and he sneaks out the window. In Vrindavan, you'll never find a time he sleeps. In, in Navadvip, at Srivasangam, the devotees stayed up all night chanting, and it doesn't mean the next day you'd find him snoring in the afternoon. <laughs> this is mentioned the Chaitanya Bhagavat. They didn't sleep. It was Lord Chaitanya's mystical power that they chanted all night long in that esoteric kirtan with, with the Lord, and in the daytime they went around about their ordinary duties. Does that mean the spiritual body doesn't need sleep? Yeah, it means the spiritual body doesn't need sleep, although there are pastimes in which the Lord appears to sleep, as mentioned in Prahlad's prayers. He appears to sleep with half-closed eyes. Of course, the material world's not as interesting because the living entities are ignoring the Lord. He's fully attentive to us, but in the spiritual world, you have Lord Jagannath. His eyes are like this. And that really is because he's, uh, he's amazed at the, the mood of the devotees in Vrindavan. That's the form of Lord Jagannath Baladev and Subhadraji, that they're actually in ecstasy themselves, hearing about the uh, separation that the devotees in Vrindavan are feeling. And so, although the Lord doesn't sleep, if you want to get his attention, then develop the kind of attitude that the devotees in Vrindavan have, which is service all the time, how to serve Krishna more, how to serve the devotees more. Then he takes even more notice of what we're doing. Okay, so Brahma's praying at the ocean of milk, and um, then the Lord uh, manifests himself before them, and um, the, the Lord appears at first uh, by his effulgence. And it's mentioned in the Bhagavatam that it's, his effulgence is as if tens of thousands of suns have risen, risen in the sky at one time. And at that time, the demigods who were praying couldn't see the Lord because of the effulgence, nor could they see themselves because the effulgence was so bright. But then Brahma and Shiva, uh, who were the, both there at the time, could see the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And that form is described here in the Srimad Bhagavatam as being a personal form. He has, he has the, all the features of, that were no, that a, a person is known for, for instance, two lotus feet and the hands and his face, and he was decorated with beautiful ornaments and so forth. He was uh, uh, dark, complex, dark complexion. He had um, jewelry and so forth. And they saw that form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So then, uh, upon meeting the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and telling him their plight, which was that uh, they're in a disadvantageous situation. The demigods are known and described sometimes as Sakama devotees. They want to maintain their situation here in the material world. And what is the situation in the material world? That is one of the topics here that's very important. And it, it is continued from the seventh canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam in which Parikshit Maharaj has asked Sri Gurudev Goswami 
how is it that the Lord seems to be partial? Do you remember that? He says, why, why is it that he seems to be partial? He seems as if he's helping out the demigods and he's uh, against the demons. So this would be a disaster, actually, theologically, because although Krishna says it himself, Samaham Savabhuteshu Nami Dveshostinapriya, I'm equal to everyone. Uh, an ordinary person is favorable towards his friends. Like, you know, I like my people because why? Why are they my people? It's like, agree with me. <laughs> they give me sense gratification. You know, in politics, you know, you might have somewhere a president or something like that who just, he only favors like his people, he ignores the other people that he doesn't like and his friends and enemies. This is a material point of view. Even a, a person who rises, Krishna says, to the transcendental position, in the Bhagavad Gita he mentions what is the vision of such a person when observing a variety of entities in the world. What is the verse? The verse that His Holiness Radha Swami quotes maybe more than any other verse with great effect. Yes? Somebody take the mic and express it. If you don't know the whole verse, try it anyway, because the way to learn verses is to try to say them even when you don't know them. And then you'll realize where the gaps are, and then you'll get interested and you'll go back and fill in the gaps, like building a bridge to Lanka. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't know the whole verse, but it starts with Vidya Vinaya Sampanne uh, Brahmani Gavihastan. Don't help him out, let him go. <laughs> if you're going to go down, go down in flames. Go ahead. <laughs> Vidya Vinaya Sampanne Brahmani Gavihastani Suni Chaiva. Don't help him out. Yeah. Okay, you can use, uh, you can use, um, charade, what do they call charades? Mimes? You show him for, to show the last line, because he didn't get the last line yet. Nose talking, yeah. it means. You can show him. Uh, Bali, don't tell him stuff. You, you can act it out. Okay, last line is, who's yep. he talking about? Yeah. The last line is like, Pandita Samadarsina. Yes. Now tell us what it, tell us what it means. So basically, uh, uh, it says like a learned man sees a, a dog eater, an outcast as like, you know, equally. He says like a super... Equally with whom? Uh, like a super soul is there in like each... So what, who's being listed in here who is seeing equally? Pandit, Pandit. Pandit, and compared to whom? I do. Vidya Vinaya Sampanne Brahmane Gavi Hasni. So who is the Brahmane? Learned man. Learned person. Brahmane. Gavi. Gavi means? Yeah. Hasti. So you've got a Brahman, a cow, an elephant, Shuni. Dog. Doggy. Shuni. Chaiva, Chaiva. Yeah? Shuni Chaiva, Shwapake. What's that? He's a dog cooker. He cooks dogs. <laughs> if you go over for Thanksgiving to this person's house, what do you have? A dog. Fresh off the street. Okay, Shuni Chaiva, Shwapake, Cha, Pandita. 
Sama, Pandit means the person on CNN, right? <laughs> who wrongly predicts the, the election every time. Okay, Pandita means somebody who, Sama, Darshina, Darshina means? So a person actually sees like this, is seeing the world, that there's all different entities who just sees the external body uh, as superfluous to the actual active ingredient, which is the soul within, right? So that's the, that's the vision of a learned person. So how could the Lord then uh, play favorites in the world? It's not possible. So how is it that if some people appear to be exalted or being um, brought up by the Lord and other people are vanquished? So this is a, an important topic theologically, isn't it? And what is the answer? Yeah? Just say in one sentence without a long explanation. It depends upon the appreciating capacity of the individual. Okay, it depends on the, on the situation or the capacity of the individual to take advantage or not of the, the mercy of the Supreme Personality of God. It's available to everyone, but according to one's situation within the blank, blank of nature, one, modes of material nature, one is either elevated or degraded. And who can prove that by uh, citing from the Bhagavad Gita? That uh, the modes either elevate one, keep one in, a equal, in, a, in the middle position, or drag one down to an abominable situation. Bali Mardan's got it. Urdham gachati sattada madhe tishtanti rajasa yeah. What does jaganya mean? Means extreme. Means really bad, abominable. So this verse that Bali Mardan Prabhu has just quoted from the Bhagavad Gita gives us an idea of what are the effects uh, the modes of nature have on us and it is our own positioning in relationship with these modes that determines whether we go up whether we stay in the middle position or whether we're dragged down into a hellish condition of life. So the, the answer to the question is the, the living entities, according to how they're positioning themselves, are doing it to themselves. And so when the mode of goodness is prominent in the universe, then the demigods take a prominent situation. And when the mode of ignorance is prominent, the roads of rajas and tamas, passion and ignorance, then it gives a niche for the demons to do well because they're in their element. Now, there are various eras within the universe, time periods during which these modes are particularly prominent. For instance, in the mode of, in the age of Satya Yuga, which uh, mode is most prominent, would you say, Anushri? Sattva. Say it as a statement, not a question, please. Sattva. Thank you. So, yes, Sattva Gun. However, as is pointed out in the seventh canto and here in the eighth canto, there's a, a macro situation for the modes and there's a micro situation also. So even within the various periods which predominantly display a particular mode of nature, there are upsurges from the modes of 
ignorance or passion, even within those periods that are predominantly in sattva. Which means, in general, you really can't trust the, the, the environment here in the material world. Prabhupada points this out when he was coming across on the Jaladuta, that the ocean looked placid and everything looked fine. And it's a little daunting being out in the middle of the ocean on a ship, because at any moment you can be um, uh, trash, uh, thrashed by the, by the weather. And then he said that at, at any given time, a big storm could come up, and then you're, you're being uh, pushed here and there. So in the material world, everything can look perfectly fine, and then all of a sudden there's an upsurge in the lower modes of material nature through which we become displaced somehow, right? So this happens all the time. This is the nature of the material world. So the point that's being made here is that and the Lord makes it when he appears to uh, Brahma, Shiva, and all the demigods. He's, say, he's saying that right now there's an upsurge in the, the uh, situation in the universe, in the modes of passion and ignorance through which the demigods have become prominent. And he said, right now, you're not going to be able to assert yourself. Therefore, you have to make an armistice with the uh, demons means you have to compromise so Prabhupada makes this point at some time sometimes in our dealings we may not be able to get exactly what we want right away does that sound familiar yes. I'm glad to hear it so we we may have to make some kind of compromise in order to move forward and that's exactly what the Lord suggests here to the to the demigods he said you're not going to be able to dominate you're going to have to make a, an agreement with the demons to work together at this particular time and then and you'll be able to uh, get the fruit and he gives the logic there are many different kinds of uh, logic and uh, the particular logic he gives is called ajagaravritti it's called the logic of the snake and the mouse what is the logic of the snake and the mouse who knows? Prabhu? So I heard it, uh, Prabhupada said, as a with you know, when they, Hold that are, close. when they are in morning walk, Prabhupada says that, as a with you means the, uh, the mouse digs the hole and then when the big big snake Ajagar, he goes um, in the hole, it's the mouse and stays there. Yeah. And in another place, he describes how a snake and a mouse are in a basket, trapped. So now, if the snake eats the mouse, yeah, he'll get a meal, but he'll be stuck in the basket. He'll have to die in there. So he makes an agreement. So you um, make a hole, and then the mouse makes the hole, and then, the, then after waiting some time, then the snake eats the mouse, because then he can get out. So this is what Vishnu is telling the demigods. He's saying that right now you're not going to be successful as you're, you're in a disadvantageous situation. So you're going to have to make, a, make some cooperation with the, with the demons. And that cooperation is going to be a churning of the milk ocean. And so there's a recipe for this. And the recipe is that he says you have to get the Mundra Mountain. What's the Mundra mountain made of? 
gold. So gold is much heavier than, for instance, granite rock. It, it's very dense and extremely heavy. And he says, you'll use that as your churning rod to churn the milk ocean. And then he says, you should put into the ocean, you should throw into it vegetables, creepers, drugs, and then uh, start churning the ocean and the rope will be Vasuki. Vasuki, the famous snake. He'll be the, uh, the rope that churns. And then you can all work together to churn. So now the demigods and the demons um, make this pact. That means the demigods have to go and meet the demons. And at first, when the Indra and his entourage approach Bali Maharaj and all his minions. They, the followers of Bali, think that uh, they're coming to attack. So they draw their swords and they stand up in a defensive mode. But Bali, being very intelligent, can understand that they're actually coming here for something else. Because first of all, they're not in an aggressive mode. He can tell from their countenances that they're not coming to attack us. They're coming for, for some other reason. So he sits down and listens to Indra, and they have a friendly conversation. The friendly conversation is ba based on how we can work together to get what we want, the nectar. And this is what goes on basically in the material world. People make an agreement to, to work together so they can have sense gratification. Prabhupada calls this sometimes honor among thieves. <laughs> People steal, sometimes some thieves got together and they steal something and then they go to their hideout and uh, then one of them says, now let's divide this morally or ethically. Let's be fair about this, how <laughs> we divide. <laughs> so in the Sri Shapanishad, it is mentioned that the Supreme Personality of Godhead owns and controls everything. Loud. Ishavashyamidam sarvam yatkincha jagatyam jagat tena tena bunjita magrida kashyasvidanam. Which means? Everything that is. Besides what the translation is, tell us what it means to us. That. Why is it relevant to us? It is relevant because um, it states that the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Um, owns and controls everything. So why is that relevant to us? Because we know that um, we have no control, so we should just depend on Krishna. That's good, and we have an addendum, Prabhu? He controls everything animate and inanimate, and uh, we should only take what is set aside as our quota. Okay, Because that's important. Uh, we should know very well to whom everything belongs. And if we take more than our quota, what are we? Thieves. Thieves, okay. Yeah. So that, that's the basic theme of the material world that people are stealing from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But if one, one understands this particular point, and that is everything belongs to Krishna, everything's controlled by Krishna, and that don't worry because tena tyak tena bunchita, he's going to give you your quota. If he's not depriving the uh, squirrels in my yard, which he doesn't. The California squirrels live better than I think anybody else in San Francisco <laughs> because they live rent-free 
and they don't have to pay for any insurance. They don't have to worry about going to H&R Block to pay taxes. They just take their little quota, and their quota happens to be in the summertime, they get plums. In the wintertime, they get persimmons. I, I don't know where they're finding all these nuts, but they find nuts, they bury them throughout the yard. And in the wintertime, when it gets a little cold here in California, not very cold, they get a new coat for free. It just, they just, like, where'd you get the coat? I ask them all the time. I don't know. It just, I get it every year. So if Krishna's taking care of the California squirrels, why wouldn't he take care of every other living entity? So a devotee finds this um, niche that I'm simply a servant of Krishna and everything's supplied by him, and therefore they're not overly anxious about the material part of their life. So now he gives them the formula, and the demons and the demigods agree to work together. So they go to Mundura Mountain, and they uproot the mountain. They're very strong. They're, they're not like human beings. Human beings are very soft and weak. They're meant for a different purpose. They're meant to sit and read Bhagavatam <laughs> and sometimes churn a little butter. But the demigods, they're very mighty and powerful, and they have mystic potency. So they go together. This is not an ordinary, it's not a little hill. It's 800,000 miles wide. So now they go there, and they pick up this golden mountain, one, two, three, ah! and they all pick it up, and they start to um, drag the mountain, and then they fail, and they drop it, and many of them get smashed. They're, they're smashed underneath the mountain. Some of them are mangled by it and so forth, and then Ajitta, the Supreme Personality of God, it comes and saves them, and this you'll find throughout this pastime, Krishna comes and saves the demigods and the demons. So this is the first time he comes, and he glances upon them and brings them back to life, the ones that have been killed. And the ones that were mangled, they become whole again. So Krishna's glance is very important. If we can attract the, the glance of Krishna, then our lives will be auspicious. This is the main purpose, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta says, of our activities in this world. Don't try to see God, but try to work in such a way that he'll see you. So now uh, they're defeated. They can't carry this mountain themselves. So now who comes? Garuda. <laughs> comes flying in. His wings, when he flaps his wings, you hear the Samaveda. And here's how powerful he is. Lord Ajita picks up not just the mountain, from the back of Garuda. But also, he picks up all of the demigods and all the demons, and they take a ride, along with the mountain. Of course, we already know this as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, because Krishna is known as Giridhari. And it's no big deal for Krishna to pick up the big Govardhan hill and hold on his finger. He does these things all the time, but it's quite amazing, isn't it? He picks up this huge golden mountain, and then all the demigods, demons, and it puts the Mandara mountain in place in the ocean. Now all the, the herbs, herbs and creepers and drugs have all been thrown in there. That's the recipe. They got the recipe. And now they put Mandara mountain in. And now Garuda has to leave. Why does Garuda have to leave? That's the last time you're going to see him in the story. Because? Sundar, tell us. Give him the mic. 
because they'll they're going to use vasuki as a rope and why is that a problem with with uh, garuda because uh, garuda uh, snakes are uh, uh, it's garuda's food that's right he's not a vegetarian we're not necessarily vegetarians it's not that we claim that we're vegetarians we're we we offer everything to krishna and according tena taktena bunjita well we offer what krishna likes and so garuda has his own quota he eats snakes and so with garuda around he's a natural enemy of this uh, vasuki so vasuki would not be able to concentrate on his job <laughs> if garuda was there and now uh, they put everything in place and then they realize that the mountain won't stay afloat in this uh, ocean of milk. So now the Lord comes in the next form as Kurma. Kurma. So one of the reasons is mentioned here, uh, or, you know, Jayadev Goswami mentions. How does it start? Shiti ihavi palatare shishtavi tava prishte dharani dharana ina shakre varishte keshavadrita kurma sharira jaya jagadisha hare jaya jagadisha hare jaya jagadisha hare he had an itchy back and this is the the way the lord he forms his pastimes he's like i got an itch on my back so he arranges to get he's such a big he gets under a mountain on his He's like, yeah, <laughs> if you've ever had an itch on your back, it, somebody can scratch it for you. Then it's like, oh, okay, my life's okay now. So he had an itchy back, and he wanted to, that mountain on his back. So there he is, a Kurma, and the mountain, and Vasuki, and they all get in line, and the demigods, they grab the head of the snake, and the demons grab the tail, but then the demons look out and they say, why do they get the front? <laughs> he said, we study and know all the Vedas and we're great heroes actually, all of us. So why do these, you know, lackluster personalities get to have the front of the snake? Now, the demigods were all looking to Ajita, who was also holding on to the tail of the snake what what should we do and ajitta just smiled and he moved his position from the tail to the head uh, from the head to the tail demigods were on the head and then the the demons were envious of that so ajitta moves to the back and then all the demigods just moved with him so what ajitta knew was when vasuki got fired up literally and started being used as a churning rope, that fire would come out of his mouth. And that's just what happened. So a little later on, we find out when the churning starts that the demons are all getting burned. They look like burned pine trees. If you've ever seen a pine tree that's burned, you know, it's just a, a little uh, skeleton there. And the, uh, those, the demigods in the back, they were also getting some smoke and getting fatigued by the whole situation. It was very difficult actually churning that ocean. So 
the Lord himself started to help out also with the, with the churning process. So in all the different phases, we find that the Lord comes and saves the day so that the churning can take place. And the first thing that comes out of the ocean is the kalakut poison. And this is a lesson also. When you try to do something good, try to do the right thing, what happens? Something messes up. It's the nature in the material world that uh, no matter what you do, even if you try some spiritual endeavor, you're going to find something that goes wrong. What are some of the things in the early days of the Krishna consciousness movement that went wrong? Let's ask Dayananda Prabhu, because he was there. Can you think of any mishaps? That, uh, that, uh, that <laughs> too many. Just name us a couple. <laughs> See, this makes us feel better when we hear these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got to turn it on. It'll be green when you turn it on. In Los Angeles, we started the temple, just a few of us, and not very experienced, young, and, and not very uh, sort of charismatic. And then later, lots of devotees came to help us and carry it forward, Vishnu John and Tamal Krishna and Gargamuni and everyone. And, but it was just Aniruddha and I and we were, and Nandarani. And we were deciding after one year in our little humble storefront what to do so so we said um, well we have a little extra money shall we buy a rug or shall we move so then we decided Aniruddha and I we decided to move to Hollywood Boulevard so this was a big step from Pico to Hollywood Boulevard so we took a place this should be a short story that we took a place uh, on month-to-month rent and that was our big mistake and we signed this month-to-month lease, and then we were cooking, and the the spices went up into it was a it was an old um, or previously it was a a beauty parlor, so very spacious, but we started cooking there, and there, it was in an office building with I don't know maybe eight floors or something up above us, and so they were all, you know, impressed with our. When, you know, when we threw the chilies into the ghee and then all this, you know, so they kicked us out. We were on the street and Prabhupada was in town. The brahmacharis had come to Krishna Vishnu. This was a great way to, to accept them into our community in Los Angeles. <laughs> and so brahmacharis had come. The world traveling Sankirtan party was there. Vishnu John, Jayananda, and Prabhupada was there, and we got kicked out on the street. There you have it. <laughs> if you want to hear the end of the story, read, yeah. you have to read the book then. <laughs> they want to know which book? Your biography? Okay, in the... Lila Amrita? Yeah, tell it. We're, we're on a cliffhanger now. <laughs> so this was, uh, how do I do it briefly? Okay, just to, 
to paint a picture. We, this is true. We were really on the street, and we had a lot of goods. The reason we, I actually, it was my decision to, I accepted rather than fight it. I went to the landlord. I said, "What can you know? Please, you, you can't do this." And he said, "Yes, you know, this is the lease. You signed it month to month, and if you just get out, no problem. We'll we'll give you your deposit back." So some money in hand. So I thought, okay, we can try to stay. Probably nothing will come of it, or at least we'll have some money. So I thought, okay. So we just moved out, and I went up the street and and found this uh, garage for rent. And the guy said, okay, you can. Here's this garage, but you can't store anything in it. So I said, okay, okay, no problem. <laughs> and then we. We came. <laughs> we we moved all of our stuff into the garage, and Jayananda was helping me. And Jayananda and I used to do a lot of heavy work together. And so, so we got all this stuff in. The landlord came out. He said, "What's this? You know, you you can't use this for storage." <laughs> and I, so I uh, said, "Well, we did anyway." And so he called the police, and the police came, and they said, "Well, you know." Anyway, so this is an example of you know many sequence of horrible events at that time. So to cut the story short, Brahmacharis had their own house, Tamal Krishna Maharaj, and uh, or he was Brahmachari, and and Vishnu John and Jayananda, and you know devotees who later became leaders in the movement. Actually, with a they were there. Shilavati was the head pujari and famous as the pujari of the movement, kind of. So they had their place. We had uh, we got a place with uh, some of the householders and uh, cooking prasadam every day. And then we took Lord Jagannath. We had Jagannath that Shamsundar had carved the year before and um, took him to Prabhupada's apartment. Prabhupada had an apartment, so we moved to Jagannath there. And every day uh, Prabhupada would go on his walk and he would, I was working full time, Prabhupada would go on his walk and he would look for places to rent. So then he would report to me, you know, I mean he would, that report to me, excuse me. He would uh, give these, uh, these notes to me, you know, for following up place to rent. So it was a big problem. We had no place. Then Tamal would find some this place or that. You know, he moved two or three, a couple times, I guess. And then uh, one time we had a, a program in the, uh, someone's garage. So all devotees are maybe not quite so many as this, but but actually. You know, a good amount, number, you know, maybe 20 or something. I don't remember exactly, but enough to fill up the, uh, a big place. So here we are, Prabhupada is speaking to all of his disciples in a garage. And then another time, the, one of the most beautiful remembrances, and this is recorded actually, that... Uh, one time, all the brahmacharis got shaved and freshly shaved, and they had new cloth. In those days, we just had like polyester or something, saffron polyesters. But they it looked they looked very elegant, you know. So Prabhupada was there, and this was in their 
uh, the brahmachari house. They were renting a house. So all the brahmacharis are there, Prabhupada sitting. And then Jayananda. Jayananda was, was kind of tall and good looking and square. It's kind of like Vaisheshika. And, <laughs> and uh, actually a little bit, you know. But uh, so he came in, you know, also shaved and the saffron and, and Prabhupada said, Ah, oh, Jayananda, he looks just like Lord Chaitanya. <laughs> Jayananda turned from white to red. <laughs> so, and uh, this is it. There's a tape. I've heard it, actually. Prabhupada says that. I heard that. it recently. Yeah. yeah. So then, uh, finally, uh, how do I end the story? Then, finally, I can't remember who found this place that somebody not me but uh, this place on La Cienega and not far from the current temple which is on Watsika so La Cienega right near to Venice Boulevard 1975 I don't know why I remember that but 5364 was the first temple <laughs> and the uh Prabhupada, I remember going with Prabhupada to visit it. It was in a, a wood frame. It was a church. Somehow I think Baptist, but I don't know. Wood frame church, smallish for a church, but quite a good size uh, on a nice lot, a corner lot, with a, a front uh, sort of area, I mean front yard, and then later, Jayananda planted 108 rose bushes. Those of you who've read the Lilamrita, you know that. And then, uh, so Prabhupada and I, we were the first ones to visit. We were walking all around the, the, uh, this place. It had a, a nice, uh, not as big as this, but for those days, a good-sized uh, uh, main room for the, the temple, like uh, what would you call it, the church room, the and uh, but no pews or anything like that. And then uh, in the back there was a reasonably sized, good sized room that we had prashadam in. And then there was another room for uh, brahmacharis that brahmacharis slept in. And then there were two bathrooms, and they had some kind of fixtures that looked like we could put showers in them. So Prabhupada said, do you think you could uh, put showers here? I said, well, I think so, Prabhupada. And I was like very sort of can-do, but I thought that, you know, I better be careful, you know, what I guarantee to, for Prabhupada. So he asked me about two or three times. He says, do you think we can put showers? <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, we can. <laughs> so we did eventually. All right. So enough stories. So this was the our failure. We're really, literally on the street. It was horrible. It, I, I mean, it really was. I mean, it was absolutely horrible. And can you imagine that Prabhupada was in town? This was the worst thing and the best thing. For me, it was the worst thing, in, in, probably in my life. The worst thing in my life. And then the best thing for the Los Angeles Temple. This is why Los Angeles Temple is the big 
temple is because Prabhupada was there in this disaster and then Prabhupada's presence turned it around. Tamal and Vishnu John were just passing through in the world Sankirtan party and Prabhupada told him to stay because Dayananda is useless. <laughs> I was going to clap at the end of your thing, but then when you said that, <laughs> it didn't seem quite appropriate. <laughs> Thank you for that story. Thank you. And that was, at, that was actually helpful because this is the idea I wanted to bring forth. When you start churning, you may think that, well, we're in spiritual life, we're protected by Krishna, we're doing the right thing, but then everything that can go wrong will go wrong, and there's a way in which one has to have the vision that because we're serving Krishna, first of all, it's auspicious whether it goes right or wrong, and second of all, Krishna has some plan, and we may not see it. So that's the mood in which the demigods and the demons had to churn. They had to... Un the faith of the declaration of Ajita, that you should do this and you'll get nectar out of it, then they went on churning despite the, dif the difficulty. And the first of the difficulties was quite ominous. It was the Kalakut poison which came out, which threatened the whole universe. It's kind of like this coronavirus thing. <laughs> like nobody knows how to stop it and you know where it's going to end it just spills out into the world and the uh, the lord recommended did ajitta that they go to lord shiva and pray to him and the reason he did so according to our acharyas was to glorify lord shiva who's the great devotee of the lord vaishnavanam yatashambhu and lord shiva said something that's very relevant to all of us and in the way that we position ourselves in our devotional practice here in, in our Iskana kind of Silicon Valley. And that is that when he was noticed by his wife for taking the sacrifice of drinking the poison for the sake of saving the universe, which he did by his mystic power because he shrunk that huge ocean of poison into a sm small enough amount that he could uh, drink, drink it from the palm of his hand, he then held it within his throat. That's why he's called Nilakanta, because his throat turned blue because of that, holding the poison there. But that's an emblem of his sacrifice to save others. And this is noted by Parvati, his wife, and also by Shukadeva Goswami, who then says, Tapyante Lokatapena, Sadava Prayasojana, Parama Aradhanam Tadi Purushasyakilatmana that the best kind of service, parama-aradhanam, means the best, the supreme service that one can render is taking trouble upon oneself in order to alleviate the miseries of others by giving them Krishna consciousness. And what is the misery? It is that people don't want it necessarily. They try to avoid it. And even though we, ha we know we have the best thing and we offer it, Still, people may say, I'm not interested, right? Is that possible? Yes. Has it ever happened? Yes. Yeah. So, in the course of spreading Krishna consciousness, there are many twists and turns, and I was impressed upon hearing Dayananda Prabhu's story that Prabhupada tolerated whatever inconveniences were there for the sake of spreading Lord Chaitanya's movement. He sat in a garage. Uh, you know, 
such an exalted personality of Paramahamsa, one would think uh, that from the very beginning would have full facility by Krishna to do whatever he wanted and he should be giving uh, his classes in a palace at least. But here he is sitting in a garage somewhere in Los Angeles where some garage band had practiced for a few years and then had gone nowhere. And now Prabhupada was there in the garage. It's also appropriate too. Hewlett Packard started in a garage and so did Stephen Wozniak and Steve Jobs. They started in a dusty little garage. And from there, because of their diligence, they were able to create two of the most uh, <clears throat> productive corporations that the modern world has ever known. So Prabhupada, knowing this principle of churning the ocean, that poison comes out, and that you have to be patient and continue to churn, stayed in the garage and gave his class, knowing that that churning process of speaking Bhagavatam to the devotees would be productive. It's all productive, as we established in the very beginning, hearing it, speaking it, and everybody else in between. And that's the essence of the Krishna consciousness movement. And the mood, the essential mood of the Krishna consciousness movement is this tapyante lokatapena. Loka means the people of the world. We take some trouble for the sake of saving the other people in the world. And what is the benefit of that? I'm asking, it's not rhetorical. Just as a clue, I already said it. We. Where are you? No. Yes, Prabhu, go ahead. No, we become dear to Krishna. I mean, the, on the Guru Parampara, when we take the trouble to... Can you prove that from another verse besides the one I just mentioned? The verse uh, from Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says that uh, there is no one more dear to me than... No one more dear to me than the person who takes the effort to teach Krishna consciousness, teach the message of Bhagavad Gita to the devotees. So this is uh, an important instruction that's given here by the example of Lord Shiva in the process of churning the milk ocean. So just as... The demigods and demons were churning the ocean of milk together with the hopes of, you keep it, with the hopes of deriving some benefit, ultimately nectar, through which one would become immortal. We'll try to take a few things away today. that will act like nectar in our lives as well. Revisiting the prayers of Brahma to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, he says in 8.6.12, as one can derive fire from wood, milk from the milk bag of the cow, food grains and water from the land, and prosperity in one's livelihood from industrial enterprises. So by the practice of bhakti yoga, even within this material world, one can achieve your favor or intelligently approach you. Those who are pious all affirm this. So we get this um, very interesting instruction in the prayer of Lord Brahma 
about how we derive all the benefits of life from bhakti yoga. In the Gita, Krishna says, Vedeshu yagneshu tapasu chaiva daneshu yat punya palam pratishtam atyeti tat sarvam idam vaditva yogi param stanam upaiti chajam. And that is that by doing devotional service, one gets the result of studying the Vedas, Vedeshu, Yagdeshu, performing yagyas, tapasya, by performing tapasya, danishu, by giving in charity, and so forth. There are many ways in which people try to position themselves in this world to get good fortune. But the basic principle is that everything good comes from devotional service. This is what is defined as faith or shraddha. Shraddha shabdi vishwas kare suridha nishchoyesh krishne bhakti koila sarva karma kritahoy. Sarva karma kritahoy means that one knows that by doing bhakti one gets all other things. All other duties are done by that. And David um, Devarshi, Bhutatna, Nrinam Pitrinam, Nakinkaro Nayam, Nrini Charajan, Sarvatmana Yasharanam, Sharanyam, Gato Mukundam, Prashrita Kartam. This is confirmed also in the Bhagavatam, in which it is said that all other debts to living entities, including the devas, the rishis, ordinary living beings, uh, forefathers, etc., are paid when one fully serves the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So one can derive the real benefit in life, important to hear over and over again, by doing devotional service. So if we attend to our devotional practices, and even if we're not fully mature or successful in the practice of devotional service, Prabhupada mentions this in a purport, that uh, when we try to do devotional service, even if we're not fully successful, uh, this is, uh, it will be efficacious because it, it pleases the Supreme Personality of Godhead. This is mentioned by Narada Muni when he says, dharmam charanam bhujam harer bhajana pakvo yadi yatrakwa babadram abuddha mushyakim kovarta aptam bhajatam sudharmata that if he gives a scenario of somebody happened to um, take to devotional service and they weren't fully uh, ready for it. They were apakva, they weren't mature in their consideration, but they went for it anyway. It was Narada Muni's opinion that such a person is better than someone who was able to perform all their duties perfectly in this world, but then didn't take the opportunity to practice devotional service. So we can derive all the benefits of life from performing devotional service. What do you think of that idea? Who said yes? Why did you say yes? Because by um, serving Krishna and the devotees, I think that um, it'll just make our life a thousand times happier. You think, but it what's will. the practical realization <laughs> you have in your own life? Um, when I genuinely serve and I feel, I feel more connected to Krishna 
and um, I also feel connected to Shua Prabhupada, even though like um, we're kind of unfortunate that we weren't able to um, be in the, his association when he was here, but by serving in his mission and just the littlest things, it makes me feel connected to Shua Prabhupada a lot. And? And Krishna, and it's helpful. In, in what way is it helpful? <clears throat> it helps me stay focused in my material life as well, especially when there's like a lot of distractions. I know like um, through Krishna consciousness, like association is important, and so it just teaches like life values. Okay, we're trying to extract as much as we can from you. Anybody else? Yes, Prabhu. Shamrupa's smiling. He's got something good. Hare Krishna Maharaj, uh, there is a beautiful story in Lord Chaitanya's pastime because Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance is coming just one week away. So, um, one time like Shivash used to all the time chant and um, absorb in devotional service. So, Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I think he asked some question, the how you are able to maintain yourself. So, he claps three times. So Mahaprabhu says, what's the meaning of this? <laughs> so he says, three clap if, if, uh, if, uh, if Krishna uh, doesn't take care, because Krishna is taking care of everyone, so I won't take care of me, then I'll drown myself in Ganga. So he showed by his example how, um, uh, how he was completely dependent on Krishna. And also uh, when Mahaprabhu was going to Jagannath Puri, so that time uh, he asked every person, did you take anything? <laughs> and everybody, um, they said, no, we didn't take anything because uh, you asked us not to take anything. Mahaprabhu said, good, if you had taken anything, I would have uh, told you to go back. So some of the pa pa pastimes from Mahaprabhu, how complete dependence. So do you do it like Srivast does? <laughs> no, because I don't have that purity and faith. But so what I do you try. do? What's the practical point? What do you actually do? So I try my best and then I just depend on Krishna, whatever happens. So In what ways so do you just depend on Krishna? Uh, means uh, I, I don't push myself too much for the, you know, uh, the fruits. So it has to come, otherwise I'm just going to you know, dead end it. Okay, that's a good point. And that leads to another point in the churning of the ocean. This is an instruction that Ajitta, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, gives to the demigods and demons before churning. He said, my dear demigods, actually it's just to the demigods, with patience and peace, everything can be done. But if one is agitated by anger, the goal is not achieved. Therefore, whatever the demons ask, agree to their proposal. So this number is 8624. And so there, as we mentioned before, as coming from the story, there may be some sense that uh, we're compromising. But in the beginning, we find that Raghunath Swami couldn't just run away from home and join Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, although that was his will. There was uh, a complex situation that he was involved in. Sometimes being born in a very wealthy family, although people think, oh, let me have much wealth, it could be very difficult, actually. The parents there, they were pious, they weren't pure devotees, but they were very pious, and they were very, very wealthy. 
And they felt, as was the culture at the time, that they owned Raghunath Das Goswami. And therefore, whenever he ran away from home to join Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his parents had people bring him back. And they made every arrangement for him to be uh, kept at home. Raghunath still wanted to run away. And what did Chaitanya Mahaprabhu tell him? He said, don't be like a crazy person. He said, you have to wait until the time is right. And he told him that Krishna will make an arrangement for you. If you keep your internal will and your practice going, then Krishna will make an arrangement. So this is practical for all of us. Well, for me, definitely. But there's a way in which those who uh, still have some kind of worldly duties to perform and the complexities of life possible. Anyone? Just three or four of you? What do you do? You have to be patient. You have to go on churning. Keep churning and, and don't get impatient and don't get angry also. Just because you have an adverse situation, you have to go on. So this was the advice that's relevant for all of us that the Lord Ajitta gives to the demigods. With patience and peace, everything can be done. So maintain that clear idea that by devotional service, everything will be done, but you can't have it right away. The poison must come also. And you also have to wait, and you may have to make some kind of compromise so that you can keep going. In fact, Prabhupada used the term inventive. You have to be inventive in order to stay alive in Krishna consciousness. So the Lord saved him in many ways, and... One of the ways was he glanced over them to bring them back to life. He lifted the mountain so that um, they could put it in the ocean. Later on, he uh, took the shape of the tortoise. These are all the ways in which the Lord helped. And then, here we have an 8, 7, 11. Thereafter, Lord Vishnu entered the demons as the quality of passion, the demigods as the quality of goodness, and Vasuki as the quality of ignorance, to encourage them and increase their various types of strength and energy. So we can remember as we're performing our services that we have to chant and invite the Lord to enter within us to give us the kind of potency that we need to go forward. You'll see on the Jaladuta that Prabhupada was praying to the Lord to empower him in a certain way in order to achieve his mission. We can't do it independently, only by the power of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Then, as I sort of um, briefly mentioned, the Lord, and this is in uh, verse number 12, the next one, manifesting himself with thousands of hands, the Lord then appeared on the summit of Mandara Mountain, like another great mountain, and held Mandara Mountain with one hand. In the upper planetary systems, Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva along with Indra, king of heaven, and other demigods offered prayers to the Lord and showered flowers upon him. So he not only entered within them as certain qualities, them means the demigods and the demons, but he also then appeared in a magnificent form on top of the mountain with many, many hands to help them churn. So you've got him on all sides. He revived them, brought them back to life. He became the place in which, uh, as Kurma, the mountain would be held. 
He appeared on top of the mountain. He was actually helping to churn. And in all these ways, the Lord comes to our rescue in whatever endeavor we're doing to increase our service. He's the one who will come and assist us. So we can keep that in mind constantly. Then, because of the demigods, this is text number 15, and were also affected by the blazing breath of Vasuki, their bodily lusters diminished, and their garments, garlands, weapons, and faces were blackened by smoke. Did you ever feel like that? I'll read it again. You tell me if you've ever felt like this. Because the demigods were also affected by the blazing breath of Vasuki, their bodily lusters diminished, and their garments, garlands, and weapons, and faces were all blackened by smoke. In the course of doing your service, have you ever felt like that? No? I feel like that all the time. <laughs> However, by the grace of the Supreme Personality of God, it clouds appeared on the sea, pouring torrents of rain and breezes blew, carrying particles of water from the sea waves to give the demigods relief. Then, when nectar did not come from the ocean of milk, despite so much endeavor by the best of the demigods and demons, the Supreme Personality of God, Ajitta, personally began to churn the ocean. So then he helped out. And then, of course, right after that, you get the poison, and Lord Shiva helps the universe. And then the, um, what comes out from the, who comes out first? Surabi. So Surabi comes out, and the, uh, the sages there were interested in Surabi. So they took charge of Surabi. Then... Uchayshava comes out, and who got, who took Uchayshava? Uchayshava was uh, Bali Maharaj, then? Aravata was claimed by? Indra, then? Then is it Lakshmi next? Koshtuba, who took that? Ajita himself. That's where he got the Kashtuba from, ostensibly. Huh? Next? Apsaras came out. Where did they go? Heavenly planets then? Then Rama, Lakshmi Devi. So now this is, I just want to make this point about Lakshmi Devi. I found it very profound, this section, because Lakshmi Devi comes out and she's to choose a husband. And she ex examined everybody. And so she found that everybody was lacking in one way or another. <laughs> Some had exalted qualities, but they were missing another quality. And she looked at everybody. And then she found that uh, the Lord, Vishnu, was perfect. And so she married him. And uh, she stays with him eternally. So th this is important for us because the research is already done. It's not that we have to go around and try to figure this out. If you want to save time, Prabhupada writes in the Bhagavad Gita, simply accept Ajitta, the, the infallible Supreme Personality of Godhead. Don't waste time, lifetimes of time, making absurd theories about how there's no God 
Don't try to invent a God. Don't try to put yourself in, uh, in, the, in the position of God. It won't work. None of these things will work. So, We've been failing lifetime after lifetime by not accepting the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And if we simply do that, then everything will fall into place perfectly. Yes, of course, we verify by understanding the method of acquiring knowledge, epistemology. We understand that there's a way to understand things. But at a certain point, you have to accept an axiomatic truth. And if it's reasonable, if you, if you see that this is reasonable, that there's a Supreme Personality of God, it, it's smart to take the stand, to make, even if you consider there's some risk in this. This was Pascal's wager. He said, it's better to take a risk accepting the Supreme Personality, that there is a God, than, than to take a risk saying there is no God. Why? Because if there is, then you're, you're fine. You're in luck. And if there isn't, so what? You still had a better life. Even sociological studies show that people who believe in God have a better life than people who don't. Like, uh, who was that? Immanuel Kant, who, or not Kant, but uh, some of the existentialists end up committing suicide because if there's no meaning to life and there's, no, there's nobody out there, then uh, what's the point to life? It's very miserable. So uh, take a risk and follow in the footsteps of Lakshmi Devi and just say, I'm going to stick with Krishna. I'm going to serve Krishna. I'll be married to Krishna and that's it. And if you take that, then you'll be perfectly situated and you'll see that Lakshmi Devi already did the research. She checked everybody out. And yes, there are many exalted personalities there, but Krishna is the best of the best. So then, of course, uh, Danvantari appears, and he's holding the, the pot of nectar. And interestingly, the demons then come, and they snatch it. Because they figure, they were thinking Ajagaravriti, and the demons were, demigods were thinking Ajagaravriti. <laughs> Both were thinking the same thing. But when the demons took it, then they began to argue amongst themselves. Because the weaker demons then, they knew that the stronger demons would just take it themselves. So they started saying, no, we should share with the demigods. Because, <laughs> because there's a way in which they were moralizing because they had a vested interest. And this is what people do throughout the material world is they come up with all kinds of ideas of how we're equal and so forth, but it's self-interested. It's not based on an absolute principle, on the absolute truth. And then the demigods, uh, seemingly cheated out of the nectar, were reassured by the Lord who appeared in a special form, Mohini Murti. And Mohini then, who is unimaginably attractive, went before the demons, and they became bewildered. And they told her, basically, that she said, um, you're fighting amongst, or they said, we're fighting amongst ourselves, and why don't you help us out? You solve the problem. She said, I will do that as long as you accept anything I say. And even if I, it seems I'm trying to cheat you, then you, you just accept. And they said, of course, we trust you. 
because they were so bewildered by her. And she took that nectar and she started giving it all to the demigods with no intention of giving any to the demons. Rahu, however, figured it out. And he came over and sat in line in disguise with the, sat in the Prasadam line with the demigods. And he got a little, a little sip. But then Ajitta cut off his head with his chakra. And the head was preserved. And there's a question, why is it that they didn't know? And why is it that uh, he was able to sneak into the line? And the reason was that the Lord, according to our Acharyas, wanted to show the potency of the nectar. That even if a demon takes it, whatever it touches becomes immortalized. And this uh, Srimad Bhagavatam says Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur is also like Mohini Murti. If somebody wants to be cheated, is insincere, that Bhagavatam will present itself in such a way that we'll take from it the wrong thing. For instance, sometimes people take a particular section of the Bhagavatam and they'll say, see, the Bhagavatam is about jnana, or it's about karma, or something else. They don't understand the ultimate conclusion of the Bhagavatam because that's their intention. They want to prove their point rather than being submissive to the Bhagavatam. And therefore, they come out with the wrong idea. So Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says, the Bhagavatam is self-correcting, or it is uh, not available to those who are envious or who have an ill motivation. You'll get out of it the, the wrong thing if, if you come in with, without guidance from the pure devotees and without the right kind of motivation. So there's just a couple lessons we took away from Hopefully, that was my hope, that we would take away from this preliminary discussion of the churning of the ocean of milk, not the least of which is just the, the metaphor of churning itself and that to get anything good out of life, you really have to be patient and you have to do the work. And similarly, in devotional service, I notice that where, wherever I go, people ask the question, I've been chanting for some time, and where's the bliss? How come I'm not in ecstasy all the time? And one answer is that we're not chanting for us to get bliss. We're chanting because it's a service. And we should think more in terms, or if we think more in terms of doing service with our tongue, then naturally we'll feel aligned and happy. And the other point is we're churning. Poison may come out. And it takes time and effort to go on. We have to be patient and peaceful as we're uh, performing devotional service. And we should always remember that because it's ordained by the Supreme Personality of God, the natural uh, fruit will come out by His grace at the right time. I always used to think in O'Hare Airport, it was such an overwhelmingly huge airport. We would stand at the, the, uh, outside the gates where people would pour out from many different planes. And on a Friday night, sometimes, we were just surrounded on all sides, thousands of people coming out. And I always thought of it like churning the milk ocean. You just keep trying, even if people were saying no, then 
eventually something would pop out, some goddess of fortune, you know, who said, yes, I'm totally interested in this and I've been waiting my whole life. And it's, if we go on in our Sankirtan endeavors and we keep churning, for instance, you know, we had a tiny little house that we started from and we kept churning and we just did the right thing. Then we got a little storefront and we kept churning. Then we got a crunky little commercial building with a pit bull in the yard and a man selling marijuana on the side. And then from there we came here and our job is to go on churning. Churning, doing the right thing to please the acharyas by distributing books, by gorgeously worshiping the deities, by making flower garlands, by keeping the temple so clean that uh, people are stunned when they see how clean it is and, and all the ways in which we churn and we take the trouble to um, deal with interpersonal conflicts that go on inevitably because of social interaction. And all this is churning. And if we go on doing that with the right uh, goal in mind, then the nectar comes out. And the ultimate nectar of life is that we prepare ourselves to serve the Supreme Personality of God in all circumstances. And those who have that mentality when they leave this temporary body and have no other concern except to go on serving will then obviously be given facility to uh, have a spiritual body and continue serving in even a greater capacity. What do you think? Okay. So now uh, we have uh, Guru Puja, but before that we have a public service announcement from my uh, friend and colleague, Dayananda Prabhu. Right? Do you have a public service announcement? Or is it something you wanted to just tell me? Okay. criticize all each you know the god brothers especially the the leaders and uh, we couldn't we couldn't find any fault with Vaisheshika so that's why I'm here I'm here to collect the dirt to see if I can find fault with Vaisheshika so if, if anyone, I wondered why you showed up suddenly <laughs> if anyone knows anything I have to report back to the god brothers <laughs> one of my fondest memories is driving through New York City with Dayananda Prabhu in his old Mercedes, talking about how we were going to take over the city with Sankirtan. He and I had, a, had an, and still share a similar vision for expanding Sankirtan. And uh, we spent many happy days there in uh, New York City and elsewhere where we, um, we were just, we looked at New York City as a, as a um, microcosm of the, of, the, of the whole world, didn't we? Yes. In fact, maybe that was your phrase. And that there was a, uh, we had a vision for how we would expand the Sankirtan book distribution to all the different parts of New York City and so forth. Dayananda Prabhu was the, you know the, the way that we do the packets at the uh, Rathiatra? He invented that. Because at the New York Rathiatra, he went to the dollar store and he bought all these uh, little uh, carrying bags. And then he had a, um, a little card that uh, would step-by-step step tell you how to distribute a book. 
and then he got little cans for collecting donations, and then he filled up all the bags with books, and that at the beginning of the parade, he handed them all out, and um, he let me assist him a little bit, and then uh, all the devotees went down through the parade, and from there, that idea that in seed form, we expanded into the thing in Los Angeles where we do no less than 15,000 books, right? Every Rathiatra. So I'm so happy you're here. It's a harbinger. Your appearance here is a harbinger of us beating Mayapur. And uh, we really would like to do that. Um, it takes innovation and it takes uh, faith that we can move to the next level. It's a, a grandiose idea, but it's, it's all possible by the power of Ajitta and his devotees like Dainanda Prabhu. Yeah, if you could take, can you take five minutes to do it? Maybe less, yeah. Okay. So th this is how it Welcome him up here. You need the mic because the people online can't hear you, and there's more online than there are in here. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, here, give it to me. Hare Krishna. So for the past number of years, actually about 15 years ago, I had this idea that uh, the environment could be connected with Krishna consciousness, not just as our farm communities or that kind of thing. So I've been working on this as a seed idea for many years, and then for the last three years I've been writing, and even during that, I've been churning these ideas, really. And uh, so now, I, I believe I've come up with the final form as much as my small brain will allow me. And so here's this little uh, pamphlet, and uh, there's some other books behind it, but the pamphlet is called Enjoyment and the Environment. So here you go, here's your pamphlet, it's about the environment. And it's about uh, deep ecology or cultural ecology. And uh, you see this book here on the back. This is the book yes. that's featured on the back, Bhagavad Gita as it is. Uh, this has the concepts and principles. So here you take yours, take it home and read it. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, we just ask a donation. You know, most people are giving like five, ten dollars, whatever you have, you know, it's fine. So where are you from? You from around here? I'm from Yeah, just give Lafayette. a donation. Okay. Just give a donation. <laughs> so so do you that Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Can you, you know, a lot of people are giving 20 today for the movement, you know. It's for <laughs> anyway. It's a check. Thank you. But this is post-dated. Post-dated. <laughs> so here you can take a look. I'll, I'll pass this around. But um, just to sort of, as a little proof that this is uh, a pramana, that this is not just some scam or hoax or something. The booklet starts out um, talking about enjoyment, enjoyment that elevates. 
from the Bhagavad Gita, quote from the Bhagavad Gita. I'm just going to read the, the headings of this thing. And uh, then tying this enjoyment to the Vaishnav culture. So rather than, I have this theory that uh, there are basically three things that devotees talk about when meeting somebody new. That's meditation, spirituality, and meditation, spirituality, and yoga. So this is a little different approach. It's, uh, it's cultural approach. So I speak about Vaishnava culture rather than spirituality, which is more of an individual thing, and it's a little niche. But environment is a much broader topic, and it's appealing to a, a wider cross-section than just yoga, meditation, and spirituality. So culture. This is Vaishnava culture. So how's, how do people enjoy in the Vaishnava culture. And this is a culture that's gone back thousands of years, and it encompasses hundreds of millions of people, not just Gaudi Vaishnavas. I'm talking about the broader Vaishnava culture. So let's compare and contrast Vaishnava culture, hundreds of millions, with Western culture, hundreds of millions, and see who is destroying the earth. So. Isn't that right? Isn't that a fair comparison? Okay, so who is destroying the earth? So, all right, so Vaishnavas are ahead of the game, and so that means every Vaishnava is an environmentalist. By definition, by definition. So, anyway, that's another topic to discuss. So, in the book, uh, we talk about modern values and Vaishnava values, and then what's what even uh, what's Vaishnava worldly enjoyment like? Because we have uh, enjoyment or happiness, and as Bhagavad Gita says, in ignorance and passion and goodness. So even Vaishnava worldly enjoyment is is concerned with you know becoming more elevated to transcendental enjoyment. And what is transcendental enjoyment comprised of? Leela, this is a picture of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and Nama. So this is the heart of Vaishnava enjoyment within the Vaishnava culture, not just the Gaudiya culture. In the, if you go to the north of, of India, they say uh, Jaramjiki. So this is the name just in everyday speech. If you listen to Gandhi's uh, Vaishnava Janato, the Gujaratis uh, sing about uh, how the Vaishnava is characterized by uh, somebody who is always chanting the name of Ram. So, and throughout the culture, the Leelas are everywhere. The names are everywhere. Sculpture, all traditional sculpture, dance, drama, everything, Leela and Nama. That's Vaishnava culture. So what Vaishnava culture is based, next page, based on Bhagavad Gita. So Bhagavad Gita and Vaishnava culture. Now, what are the Gita solutions to greed? Isn't, isn't that the problem that we have destroying the environment? And what are Gita's? What does the Gita have to say about it? And then the final section is, there have been many translations and co uh, commentaries on the Gita. However, the best one 
is Bhagavad Gita as it is by A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. I just say it directly, you know, don't forget about any comparisons or anything, you know, I just, you know, Gita, 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 next section. The best one, <laughs> and then on the back is the advertisement, basically, for Bhagavad Gita, and then, so the idea being that here's your pamphlet, we're representing the environment and the Vaishnava culture. Here's our Gita. Here's your Gita. Take it home. Read it. So I have my my strategy, my idea, my perfect idea, but I think it's up to I was just thinking at the Kirtan Oasis, you know, we could have a booth there that it's about the environment. You know, and it could feature these main points, use the same artwork and everything like that. Can you imagine a booth there that about save the environment or whatever Dayananda Prabhu suggests that be our our tagline? And we could have a group there that's talking about it, or it could be the part of the main booth. We could have that as, you know, the signage and everything like that, save the environment. And so we're chanting there, and then we have this whole presentation, right? And we'll also test it out today by, um, you know, presenting ourselves. We're here as environmentalists, and we're talking about some of the, the, the most systemic problem in the world right now, which is climate change and so forth, right? And what are the solutions? I, to, I mean, you can do as you like, but I, I try to avoid climate change because it's uh, politicized. Right. It's it's very polar. What would be polarizing. the uh, the main uh, phrases that you would suggest? Uh, well, this this talks about enjoyment and the environment. Okay. So, main phrases are for the problem. Okay, the main phrases are: this is deep ecology and cultural ecology. Deep ecology and cultural ecology. These Everyone say deep ecology. Deep ecology. Cultural ecology. Cultural ecology. These are uh, these are real terms. So cultural ecology is the study of how cultures affect ecology, or how cultures affect the environment, and how the environment affects the culture. So that's within this scope of this, because we're talking about Vaishnava culture and its relation to the environment, and American culture, and then deep ecology is the concept uh, developed in the, especially in the 60s, 70s th that uh, by European philosophers that uh, there has to be change in culture in order to uh, improve the environment. It's not through solar panels and, and windmills that the environment's gonna change. It has to be cultural values. Now, it's controversial how that goes, but it's not controversial to us. I mean, it's obvious that Vaishnava culture is the way it has to go. So we'll use it today, right? Test it out? Okay, uh, it's 10.18. So one of you, we'll take the questions after we do Guru Puja, okay? Let's thank Dayananda Prabhu. Haribo.
I'm just trying to do something for profit so I can make up for getting kicked out of the temple there. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. We deeply appreciate you coming here and for giving your condensed insights in a usable form that we'll, we'll test out and we'll certainly give you feedback about the ways in which it works for us. Now we're going to move all the asanas back to their place, roll up this carpet, and we'll uh, have a Guru Puja for Srila Prabhupada. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much. Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, hey, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman, Nachari Armarman.